Our lesson this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, um, beginning reading, uh, and I'll begin reading in uh, verse 22. You'll find it on page 857 in your hymnal, uh, excuse me, your Bible. I'll go ahead and, and confess now, my, my diet over the past week has been mostly halls. Um, I uh, am uh, on the mend from all sorts of congestion and, and, and cold and yuck. So uh, I do washing my hands regularly so, uh, and trying to stay away from uh, con- being contagious and contaminatory. But, um, so if I, uh, if I say something that is incorrect, uh, just attribute it to the medicine and, uh, and, and correct me with gentleness later. We are in Luke chapter 2. That's in the Bible. And uh, <laughs> we're going to be looking particularly at Jesus being presented in the temple. Uh, there with Simeon. I was thinking about a movie I watched a while back. I've seen it several, several times. It's, it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It's the, the search for the Holy Grail, right? And um, uh, anyway, in the, the Last Crusade, the one, one character that stood out to me and, and that kind of stuck with me, it was an image and that kind of bothered me. And it was the knight. The knight who was, was left there in the cave, he was one of three brothers charged with guarding the Holy Grail. Now, this is a Hollywood uh, telling of a tale, but when I, I looked at this, I, I thought about this French knight. Uh, he was the brother of Sir Richard and someone else, but he had been left there in that cave for 900 years. 900 years in a cave by himself. I, I was just thinking about, about that, about the endurance, the patience, Think about the loneliness of that, waiting to see if anybody like Indiana Jones would be able to make it through all the challenges to finally come in there and for him to see another human being or an event for which he had been waiting. Patience. Patience is not uh, an area in which I have found uh, extensive sanctification. I'm not a patient person. Uh, I, I... I hesitate in praying for patience because it's often been said as you pray for patience, uh, God provides it. And he provides patience by giving us things for which we must wait. I think back on, particularly as a child, uh, the period from the beginning of December became the most tolerable time of impatience and waiting. And struggle from, from early December to, to December 20th or so when, when we'd finally get out of school. And then from the 20th to the 24th till we reached New Year's Eve. Christmas Eve. I told you, Christmas Eve. We reached Christmas Eve. And I will tell you that the slowest period of time ever is that time from when I was told to go to bed on Christmas Eve and wake up on Christmas morning. As... As a young man, I had bunk beds, and on Christmas Eve, I'd sleep in the top bunk, and it was particularly wonderful because my grandmother would come and sleep on the bottom bunk. I'm certain it wasn't comfortable, but that wasn't why she didn't sleep. I I can remember lying awake, and when my grandmother would finally come and get in bed underneath, I would lean over and ask her, Grandmother, are you awake? Yes, dear, I'm awake. What time is it? It's time for you to get some sleep, dear. We, we, we won't let you oversleep in the morning. 
Well, my bedroom window faced out to the Bell's backyard. The Bell's were our next-door neighbor, and he had this infernal thing in his backyard. It was a gas light that stayed on all night long, and that window perpetually looked like sunrise. It always looked like the sun was coming up, so all night long I'd roll over and say, Grandmother, are you awake? Yes, dear. Is it time to get up yet? No, it wasn't. It just wouldn't seem to want to come. But the waiting was not over because from then, December 25th, when it finally came, by the way, and I think it took about, about a week from when I went to bed on Christmas Eve to Christmas morning, uh, it was intolerable how long I had to wait. But then I had, then had to wait two more days for the second most important birthday of the year. If any of you all are taking notes, December 25th is when we celebrate the birthday of Jesus. Two days later, just for anybody that's keeping track, is when we celebrate waiting. Advent is a season in which we remember millennia of waiting. When we find waiting to be that, that time that we can, we can measure with a watch, we think about waiting that came in terms of lifetimes. And that's one of the things that we see here this morning. We look in Luke chapter 2, particularly about the time when Jesus was brought uh, for the, uh, the temple and brought for purification of Mary and for dedication of the firstborn. I want to read a portion of this. We're going to talk about it and read a portion of it uh, again in a moment. We begin, I'm going to begin reading actually back in verse 21. It says, At the end of eight days, when Jesus was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, a man whose name was Simeon, and he was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Let's hold there for a bit. Pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that as we remember the waiting, Father, we, we praise you. That, that these words are, are coming, Father, new and fresh. These words are, are coming in, in the day of the Lord Jesus' birth. Father, after a period of such silence, such quiet, we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us and that your word will not fail and it will not return to you void. Accomplish your purposes through it, among us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in this text right here, basically three ceremonies that take place. Three, three important events in the life of Jesus and, and events which really, uh, if we just read past them, we, we kind of we jump from the, the shepherds and the wise men and all that went on there and we kind of jump ahead to maybe the 12-year-old Jesus and then right into the 30-year-old Jesus and his ministry. But this is a, a very, very brief snippet of, of a bit of infancy in the life of Jesus. 
and, and the things that were accomplished uh, through his birth. We see three ceremonies right here. First, we see circumcision. It says in verse 21, at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus. This at eight days was when he would be uh, formally recognized by his name, uh, would have been conceived according to the covenant given with Abraham, right? We, we go back to Genesis chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17 of God making and reiterating his covenant uh, with Abraham and also the giving of that sign, uh, that cutting away in, in terms of, of procreation, that idea of cutting away of the flesh. In Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, it says, Every male child uh, would be uh, circumcised after eight days. This was uh, the practice and the pattern of the people of God. In Genesis chapter 12, we, we read the significance of what's going on here. Genesis chapter 12, God makes a promise to Abraham. He says, I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see this, this direct tie of, of Jesus, that certainly a, a son of Abraham. And we see that, that, that tie back to that promise which God had given 2,000 years prior. That's Genesis chapter 12, the, the giving of the promise to Abraham. Again, God repeats himself, and it's such a wonderful thing because I need him to repeat himself to me because I don't listen close the first time. That's why Carol has to tell me things again and again and again. God, God makes it even more and more clear to, uh, to our father Abraham in Genesis 15. He takes him outside, and in verses 5 and 6, he points to the stars and he says, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to do so. God tells Abraham, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6 is this wonderful statement of the salvation of Abraham and the salvation as people of God would know salvation prior to the birth of Jesus. It says, he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the one who this day is circumcised in that sign. God, God had promised God had promised that there, there would be one who would come, a seed of the woman we find all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we see coming through Abraham this, this promise that there would be a blessing not only to your offspring, but to all the nations of the world. A light unto all the nations. And this is not just any child who is here presented for circumcision. This is not just any descendant of Abraham. He is the son of Abraham to whom the covenant promise pointed in whom the covenant promise is realized. He is the child of the covenant, and Simeon's song will be full of praise, of, of full of, of notes of relief and rest and satisfaction and completement because these promises have come true. Now, are we leaping to conclusions to, to, to take uh, Jesus and tie him uh, to the sign particularly of Abraham? Oh, absolutely not. Jesus himself does so. In John chapter 8, matter of fact, uh, flip over there, John chapter 8 with me. Just keep your thumb right here in Luke. We're coming back to that. But in John chapter 8, picking up in verse 56. I love hearing the flipping of pages. It also creates a nice breeze. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 56. Now keep in mind what's going on right here is Jesus as he's been talking with many who had come to, uh, uh, to, uh, to call him a, uh, a demon 
Um, uh, a Samaritan even, the Jews are accusing him of. He says, I don't have a demon, I honor the Father. Um, he says, most assuredly, um, he says in verse 51, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall not see death. And the, and the Jews say to him, oh, well, then we know you're a demon because Abraham is dead. And he goes on to say uh, in verse 56, he says, your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Well, the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet you have seen Abraham. And Jesus looks to them and he says, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Well, now you might say, okay, all right, that's, that's, that's kind of interesting, but is it really a big deal? Well, the big deal is, is not really necessarily found in our testimony, but the testimony of those who heard him say it in that moment. It says that the people around him took up stones to throw them at Jesus because of what he had just said. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Talking about Abraham was longing to see the day of that promise, and that promise came in the eternal Son of God, in his birth, in his life, in his sacrifice, that the gospel would be made complete, and that all the nations of the world uh, would see and rejoice. You see, every male child, every male child since Abraham, some 2,000 years prior, every male child, eight days old, who was descended from Abraham, would have been circumcised as a sign of this promise. 2,000 years of such circumcisions. Yet at this moment, at this moment we see here in Luke chapter 2, at this moment, God has kept His promise. Jesus, the one circumcised, is the one who has brought that salvation and that blessing to the world. The first of the three ceremonies, we see Jesus' circumcision. But what else do we see? We see in this text, it talks about uh, the idea that the turtle doves and the the sacrifice according to what uh, was said in the law of the Lord back in the beginning, verse uh, 22 uh, that we read. It says, the time had come for the purification according to the law of Moses. Well, this is a reference to Leviticus chapter 12. In Leviticus chapter 12, it speaks about a period... Of, uh, then there's a time period between the eighth day of the circumcision, what's taking place now, the 40 days after the birth of Jesus, at the birth of any child, when the mother was considered to be ritually unclean. At the end of that period, she would bring to the temple two sacrifices. She'd bring a lamb uh, for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. Um, the, the priest would offer them and make atonement for the sin of the mother, and it was a symbolic way uh, to say that the sin passes from generation to generation and must require cleansing. We think about it in Psalm 51. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. We're sinners by nature. We're, we're born sinners. We don't become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And this is, is a, a, a statement about this where the mother would come for purification after giving birth. In Leviticus chapter 12, in verse 8, and then in verse 24, it talks about providing a lamb for this. But if you're too poor, two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so this is an awesome moment. Mary is coming, uh, making a sacrifice for her own ritual cleansing. But what's truly amazing, that as she comes, she holds in her arms the child. The, the, the blood of the sacrifices would point to She holds in her arms the child whose own blood is the meaning of the sacrifices that she's offering. The infant she carries is the lamb that would make her truly. 
It's a remarkable thing to see her coming in here, having given birth to the Savior, and yet acknowledging in that moment, I'm, I'm a sinner, and, and I come to be made clean. Well, since the fall itself, animals had been slain. Since the, the fall, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you remember what happened there? Adam and Eve had done the one thing that, that God said you cannot do. You may not eat of the fruit and live. And so we see in Genesis chapter 3 the curse that came on this world, uh, the curse upon the serpent, the curse upon man and woman, the curse upon even the world around that thorns and thistles will grow where once everything came in great abundance and, and cleanliness. We see the problems of the world. We see sin come, but we do not see in Genesis chapter 3 the death of Adam and Eve. We do see death, though. It says in Genesis chapter 3 that God he clothed Adam and Eve in the skins of an animal which indicates that an animal was slain that day, the first death that we read of in the Bible, that God himself took and sacrificed an animal that the shame of Adam and Eve would be covered. We see the animal sacrifices that we see like this in, the, uh, in this sacrifice for purification to foreshadow the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of our sins. The book of Hebrews Step later, we'll talk about that it was never the blood of bulls, it was never the blood of lambs, it was never the blood of goats that atoned for our sins. But all this blood, rivers of blood, gallons of blood that had to be dealt with when, when lambs were, were sacrificed at Yom Kippur, as, as, as bulls were sacrificed as offerings because of sin, the, the blood all pointed to Jesus. Even as Abraham was saved by faith, he believed God and God reckoned him as righteousness. His sins were covered by the lamb who would be slain. Mary carried that lamb in there. Too poor to, to offer the lamb, so she offered the, it says there, the, um, the, the two turtle doves or the two young pigeons, right? The, the poor offering but the offering that she carried in her arms, Jesus, was that offering that was of infinite value, amazing worth. John, John would tell us later, he says when he saw Jesus for the first time, he pointed him out and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Such an amazing thing. In Mary's purification, we see this wonderful testimony that here is Jesus who would pay for our sins. And we also see in verses 22 and 23, it's Jesus is, is presented to the Lord, His consecration, uh, coming and set aside. Exodus chapter 32, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 13 says that every firstborn son would be consecrated to the Lord. Now Numbers chapter 3 then goes on to talk about the practice of the Levites being in place of the firstborn, but it was with a price for redeeming them. So that would be that the Levites would, would take the place of the firstborn of the family being set apart for service to the Lord, but there was a price, a, a redemption price, a ransom that was paid uh, that the Levite would take the place of the firstborn. And so Jesus, as they come into this, we see this wonderful picture of Jesus. He is indeed set apart for the service of the Lord, but He is the one who is put in place for us. He is the, the firstborn set apart for us. Jesus Christ was referred to in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By 
by means of him, all other things have been created in heavens and earth. The things visible, the things invisible, no matter whether they're thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The only begotten of the Father, the firstborn of all. The Savior by which we are all delivered. Now, why this emphasis and this, this deal about the firstborn? We'll step back in time just a bit. Step back in the history that would have been so obvious to so many in that day. Right there in Jerusalem who had known the story of the people of God as they had been enslaved in Egypt. As they had been enslaved, forced to make bricks without straw. Seeing their children killed before their eyes because Pharaoh feared the Redeemer that was coming. See the plagues coming to convince Pharaoh of the power of God in that final plague. There were firstborns who breathed their last that night, but there were firstborns who were redeemed. The firstborn of the children of Israel were marked out with the blood of the Lamb across the, the doorpost of their house. And the angel of death would pass over. You see, the, the firstborn of the Egyptians could not serve. The firstborn of the Egyptians could not be consecrated. The firstborn of the Egyptians knew death and the curse. But the firstborn of the children of God knew that as they were marked out by the Lamb, as they were redeemed by that sacrifice, that they were set apart for God's glory. So we see Jesus Christ then becomes the price that's paid for us, that we would be marked out, that the angel of death would not visit us, that we would not inherit death, but we would inherit life because of the redemption of God. We see this consecration of the firstborn to be such a wonderful picture of what is taking place here, that Jesus would be the blood that marks us out as the children of God. So what does this inspire? Does this inspire us? Does this encourage us? Does this motivate us in this Christmas season? Well, let's look at what it did to the person who saw Jesus at this time. It was Simeon. We don't know much about Simeon. Holy and devout. He received prophecy. It's an amazing thing because he he had been told that he would not see death uh, before he saw salvation. We think about the 400, peri- 400 years of silence between uh, when Malachi last spoke and when we see the word coming in the day of Jesus, that this was a, a precious and wonderful thing that Simeon would be told by God that he would see the Lord's Christ. And so we see now a joyful and a completed man. And what does he do as he sees all this happen? The words I'm about to read to you are referred to as the nunc dimittis. Uh, which means now you dismiss me. Now dismiss. It's, it's this wonderful song of praise that Simeon makes. And I encourage you to consider these words as we think about celebration this season. Simeon, verse 28, Luke 2, 28. Follow with me. Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. It's what an incredible thing to see. Simeon's telling us this. Jesus is God's final climactic and wondrous word to the world. Verse 32, it says that 
He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. I believe that Simeon is borrowing from Isaiah in several places, but I think about Isaiah chapter 60 in particular. The first three verses of Isaiah 60 say, Arise and shine, for light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and the nation shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of His rising. It's this idea of the rising of the sun that would draw us out of darkness, draw us out of slumber. He he says, my eyes have seen salvation. And what is this salvation? What do I see before me? A light to the Gentiles and a glory to Israel. All people. That's the summary statement. The Gentiles and Israel, that's all people. Now we're not talking universal salvation, but it is salvation that is extended to no particular tribe or tongue. It's that God would select from all people His people. And that we would know regardless of where we have been born and to who we look back and find our parentage, that we have been adopted into the family of God. This is a light. It's a, it is a, 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 a wonderful, enlightening verse right here coming to a people who at this time had become trapped in thinking that simply because I have been born of Abraham, I'm in. And those who have not been born of Abraham, they're not. It's a binary option. It's either in or you are, and it all depends on how you trace your family back. And we are told, certainly in the ministry and the life of John and Jesus, that God can raise children of Israel out of rocks. For indeed, He created us out of dirt. We we see this wonderful statement of salvation. And Simeon is crying out, and he rejoices in this. And what does he go on to say? He, He speaks in a song of deep contentment, of wondrous satisfaction, right? He says, God... My life is complete. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been waiting for. And Lord, I see it. Jesus Christ, the one that that, that Simeon had been waiting for, is indeed the one and the only one on whom we may base our life and found our life for time and eternity that we might say, Lord, I give you all of my life and it is enough that I have come to know you. When we consider... The, the difficulties of life and all the things that we, we cry out and say, it's not fair. The, the times when we look and we say, why is this happening to me? Why have these maladies befallen me? Why is life so unfair? Why is the world so unjust? Why are my troubles so many? I encourage you to go back and to, to, to sing the song with Simeon. As you, as you think about the promises of God, the promises of God made to Abraham, the promises of God made even in, in the promise in the moment of the fall. And all of these things, we see God's promises are faithful and perfect and, and come to pass. And we look at it and we say, and I have, by God's grace, come to see Jesus. I know Jesus. I see Him in His Word. I know His salvation. I rejoice in it. And what do we say? Lord, then let me depart in peace. It's enough. If my life were to end at this very moment, it would be enough because I have known Jesus. I have seen Him all of His glory. I pray that this Christmas season that you would say it's enough. I I remember again going back as a child, being impatient was one of my many faults and continues to be one of my many faults, but also the other is is selfishness. I'm probably not the only one in the room, but just pretend that I am for now and you can pray for me. But selfishness is a difficult thing to deal with. It's a difficult thing to deal with, especially as a little child. And a little child for the longest while, for seven years or so, I was an only child. Great years. My brothers are watching this online. Then 
It's true. But I can remember, and I, and I could see it in my brothers and seeing it in other children, but I can remember on, on Christmas morning and all the carnage, right? All just the paper everywhere, boxes, thrown, you know, socks, okay, throw that aside. And, you know, all that sort of thing, all the carnage, all the papers, everything going on. And, and those words of a child that, you know, that just come out and they show the nature of who we are and our selfish nature. And I can remember even saying these words as a child and hearing other ch- children utter it. When you open up all these presents and there's all you can see is wrapping paper and boxes and toys and things around. And you look and you, for the next box to open and there's not another box and you look and say, is, that all? Like I said, probably none of you kids have ever said that. But I know I did. Is that all? But what we hear in the praise of Simeon is Jesus is enough. There is no more. There is nothing greater. He says, this is what I have been waiting on. For thousands of years it has been promised. God is good. He's kept his word. It is enough. May God be gracious to you. May God enable you this Christmas to sing Simeon's song with contentment and true peace. May he bless his word to you. And as you see Jesus in it, pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the promises that we see made and the promises that we see fulfilled. Father, we thank you for the promises that we own today and, Lord, the expectation to see them perfectly and fully fulfilled in the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, forgive us for our doubts. Forgive us for our selfishness. Forgive us for our impatience. Forgive us for crying out and saying that this is not fair. This is not just. This is not enough. But when we see our Savior, the eternal Son of God made man, in lowly estate, born under the law, living life as a man, suffering for our salvation, raised and glorified and coming again. Lord, may we all say with Simeon, Lord God, this is enough. Lord, let me know. Let me now, at any moment, depart in peace. But for the days that you give us, Lord God, the days of celebration, the days of joy, May we, Father, say that I have Jesus. I've come to know salvation and seen it. And Lord God, there's nothing which can stop me from praising you for it and making it known to a world that needs this light, this blessing. Amen.